KC3, hope you had a great Christmas. Church will be starting in three, two, one. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. I'm Chris. This is Rainy. Hello. Rainy is Colton Seeger's Larry Ray's son-in-law. Actually, it's easier to say that you are Larry's daughter. That's true. Yes, that's <laughs> I tried to say that way complicated, but Colton is preaching today. Is Larry's son-in-law's wife. Yes, there you go. We should yeah. say it like that. That's, that's pretty right. great. Uh, we're so glad you guys have joined us today. Um, we're going to sing some songs, some pretty easy ones we picked today, so you guys can sing along and worship with us. And uh, Here we go. You ready? Yes. Christ Community Church. 
I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas, and I hope you're all doing well. I'm doing the call to worship this morning, and I'll be doing that. Um, we're reading Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5, if you'd like to follow along with me. Okay? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Thank you guys and have a wonderful day.
job. So today is a special day. We're gonna have uh, Rainey's husband, Colton's, I mean Larry's son-in-law, not, not Colton's son-in-law, <laughs> is gonna be preaching today for us. So you guys sit back and uh, welcome Colton to our service today. And uh, yeah. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Colton Seegers. I am uh, Larry Ray's son-in-law. Uh, 10 years ago, I had the privilege of marrying Larry and Sherry's daughter. And today I have the privilege and the honor of bringing God's word to you. So thank you for joining us this morning at C3. Uh, the teaching text this morning is from Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19. This is Moses speaking, and he says to the Lord, Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. This is God's word. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a five-year-old named Teddy, and uh, I try my best to stir wonder in his heart. Uh, and so the other day, we were driving down Poplar, and we seemed to be hitting every single bump on Poplar, which there's quite a few. Um, but hitting every single bump, and it eventually got to the point where he asked me specifically, like, why is the road so bumpy? And I said what any parent would say. And I said that, um, well, Teddy, there's a Gerona Jeepasaurus chasing us, and I need your help to escape. And he <laughs> looked at me through the, you know, the rearview mirror and was just like, there's a what? And I was like, it's a Gerona Jeepasaurus, and we have to escape. Are you in? And he was like, yes. And so we would do this thing where we were driving, and we'd hit a bump, and he would tell me to go faster and faster and faster and do all of this stuff. And basically, that's what I would do. I would, I would drive faster to get away from the Gerona Jeepasaurus, and then uh, I'd be swerving in and out of cars and stuff like that. And uh, honestly, that's the way people drive in Memphis anyway, so I actually fit right in. But if you're not familiar with a Gerona Jeepasaurus, here's the definition. It's not in nor normal dictionaries, it's just in my personal one. But a Gerona Jeepasaurus, it is an invisible monster that attaches itself to your car, and you know that it's chasing you when your car starts to bump. Obviously, uh, it means that it's always available to you on Poplar, Walnut Grove, 385, I-40, 240, Germantown Parkway, and any other street in Memphis. That's where you experience the Gerona Jeepasaurus. Um, and while they are everywhere, no one has been able to capture a picture of one. They are mostly seen by small children and parents who are trying to stir wonder in the heart of their kid. But that's the definition of what a Gerona Jeepasaurus actually actually is. So uh, we did that. He got really into it. It was so much fun. And again, we were driving like crazy down Poplar, but we fit right in because that's, again, that's how most people drive. But uh, the whole point, I guess, of me saying that is I just want him to experience wonder as a child. He gets to be a child for so long or for so little. And then eventually like his imagination and his experience of wonder is replaced by deadlines and debt and utility bills and complaining about city taxes and people telling him that he needs to speed up or show up on time or to slow down or to tuck in his shirt. Like eventually it's just replaced by real life and the wonder and the awe that he experiences as a child uh, eventually goes away. So I want him to experience that. Uh, and I say all that because I think in, in so many ways, I think that's exactly what the Lord uh, wants for us. I think it's exactly the way I want that for my son. I think the Lord wants that uh, for his kids as well, for his sons and his daughters, is for them to live in wonder. Uh, there's this great book called The Power of Moments, and one of the quotes of that book has really become one of the mantras of my life. But It says, uh, beware the soul-sucking force of reasonableness. The soul-sucking force of reason reasonableness. And I love that idea of like, don't, don't settle for reasonable. And reasonable is ultimately what we settle for. It's not really what we aim at in life. We settle for something reasonable, but what we aim at is wonder and awe. 
And I think in so many ways uh, in our lives right now, wonder and awe are at an all-time low, and it's something that we need to stir, and it's something to me that I think the Lord actually wants us to experience in our lives. And I believe that that's why I love this prayer of Moses, because that's what he's asking for. He's asking for wonder, basically saying, show me your glory. Show me something beautiful. Show me something that I'm not seeing. I want to see it all. I want to know you completely. I want to see more glory in my life, in my time. Show me your glory. Uh, And so as we look to 2021, one of the things I think the church desperately needs is to be recaptivated by this particular vision of Moses, this vision of the Lord, to be in awe and wonder of him again, to be saying like Moses, show me your glory. Let me stand in awe of you. Blow my mind in Jesus' name. Like Do something that actually stirs awe and stirs wonder in my soul. Show me your glory. We need to be a people, especially in the church, pursuing awe and wonder of the Lord. So Uh, because I believe what we need to be that, I want to offer three reasons why. Why do we need to be people who are pursuing the awe and wonder of the Lord? The first reason is I believe we were made for wonder. We were made for wonder. And because we were made for it, ultimately, because we're made for it, we crave it. We actually crave wonder in our lives. St. Augustine says, Thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee. His idea is that God has placed salt on our lips that we might actually thirst for after him. So that longing to experience something awesome and that longing to experience wonder, God has actually placed that in our souls. It's inerrant within us to be something that we long for, ultimately, so that he could actually be the person who satisfies that longing. And I think we see that we're actually made for wonder and that we crave it because I think we see this in our culture. The other day, I was uh, at a gas station driving to Georgia and uh, at the gas station, stopping to get gas, just walked in to grab something real fast. And uh, there was this guy in there that had been in there for quite, a, quite some time, and he was buying scratch-off tickets and then scratching them off and trying to win and scratching them off and trying to win. And uh, I was probably in there for five minutes, and he was consistently buying one, scratching one, buying one, scratching one, doing that over and over and over. And by the time I was leaving, he was still in there. And as I was walking out, he stopped me, and he looked at me, and he showed me one. He was like, this is going to be the one. Like, this is going to be the ticket that changes everything. And I was like, man, I really hope that's true. Um, you know, have a good day and I'll see you later. But it was amazing just to see that like even, even a, a, like a, a piece of paper, two by three inches sheet of paper with numbers on it, like that was creating awe and wonder for him and like the possibilities that if this actually did happen, like the possibilities of what it could change in my life, it could actually change everything. He was placing in some sense Messiah-like faith in a sheet of paper. And I think we see that, again, in our culture, like people now, especially in the year 2020, people pursuing wonder and pursuing awe in a time of quarantine and time of lockdown. Uh, if you looked at all the stats, like the, the streaming business, the tech business, everything boomed in that particular way because people were trying to escape their own world and ultimately experience the wonders of another world. And that's why people experienced depression when their show ended and they didn't have anything to fill it with because they were actually living in this idea of like, I was actually escaping into a different world every night, every day, and now I can't do that. I think we experienced that. If you look at the stats with how, many, how much uh, alcohol sales went up, how much uh, medicinal uh, things went up, drugs, anything like that, all of that stuff went up. That's how uh, pornography and the downloads with pornography went up and shot through the roof in that particular time because, again, people are simply trying to escape or to find something to match this desire and this longing in their hearts, this wonder. I was playing golf with a guy uh, the other day, and uh, he had, didn't realize this when I started playing golf with him, but he had an addiction to gambling. And so it started by him just asking me, you know, every time I was making a shot, like he was asking me or my friend to take a bet and make some money. 
uh, on, on each shot that we were making or something and uh, come to find out that he was actually in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt uh, because of his gambling addiction. And he just loved the rush that it gave him the possibility again of winning. And uh, he bet $300 to my friend that I would miss a putt and my friend bet that I would make it. And it was like a six foot putt. It was, it was definitely something I was gonna make. And still, like he just had this longing in his soul to actually experience like, what if I won? And uh, ultimately he ended up losing $300. And I was like, man, you do not need to lose $300. You actually need to put all of your money in the bank and get out of debt. But there's just something in our culture about that. It's ingrained in us. It's something that lives inside of us. We crave wonder. We actually long to experience. And in many ways, just like Moses, we're saying, show me, show me your glory. Except the difference is Moses is saying, show me your glory. And we just look to other things and say, show me glory. I just want to experience it. I want to feel it. I want to see it in my own lives. And this is why Moses actually makes a good point to say, like, I want to see your glory. You made me to experience this. You made me this way of longing to see something more beautiful. And so let that, that longing that you created be ultimately satisfied and filled in you. Augustine again says, Wherever the soul of man turns, unless it turns towards God, it clings only to sorrow, even though the things that it turns to may be things of beauty. Even though the things that we turn to may be beautiful, and even though the beautiful things may promise us wonder, at the end of the day, unless we're actually turning to the source of our wonder, the person who placed it there, unless we're turning there, we cling only to something that's never actually going to satisfy that longing. And again, that's why Moses says, show me your glory, God. Show me, do something in my, you made me this way, so do something here to satisfy that longing in our souls. Our wonder ultimately can only be satisfied through the person who made us that way. I love what C.S. Lewis says about how God made us. He says, God made us and invented us as man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gas and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits are designed to burn and our food that our spirits are designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. And so in so many ways, we need to pursue the wonder of the Lord. Because that wonder lives in us, we will crave it and we will chase it down and pursue it somewhere or another. And in so many ways, if we actually want to experience the satisfaction of having that need met, ultimately we'll only find that by turning to him. The second reason we need to pursue wonder in 2021 is that we're shaped by wonder. We're shaped by the thing that we stand in awe of. Uh, our lives are shaped around what we ultimately look at and wonder at. Um, I was in college, uh, I was not like the best student in the whole world, um, but I had started dating Rainy, who is now my wife, and uh, she was an incredible student. And I had been in school for like three years and had basically 56 credits to show for it. So I'd been in school for three years and really only had two years worth of work to show for it. And Rainey was a student that was like, could have graduated in three and a half years and chose to, to stay longer to take more school, which didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but that's what she wanted to do. And uh, it, it was one of those things, like eventually as we started dating, she said to me like, hey, when are you gonna graduate? I was like, well, I have two more years left to graduate. I was like, when are you gonna graduate? She's like, well, I'm gonna graduate this year. She's like, I wish that you would graduate with me and then we could go to uh, get our grad, uh, grad school together and get our master's degrees together and we could do that. And I was like, Challenge accepted. And so because like, I, I was in so much wonder of what a life with her would look like and going to grad school with her and that kind of thing, that last year, my, my fourth year of college, even though I had 64 hours left to get, 
I took all of those hours in that last year. I took 30 hours the first semester, 30 hours the second semester, and then, and then tested out of two courses or something like that. But I, all of a sudden, because I was stirred in the awe and wonder of what life would be like to be with this girl and to go to school with her and to do life with her, all of a sudden I shifted from a, I was shaped and formed by that and it became a really, really great student and ultimately took more classes in that last year than I had taken in the three previous years. The reason I say that is because that's just how we are. We're shaped by what we actually wonder at. It, the things that, that capture our all, the things that capture our wonder, that ultimately shapes us. And we see this all the time. This is why people go into crazy debt when they purchase things. It's not because they like creditors calling them and asking for their money back. It's not because they live off the rush of that stress of like, am I going to be able to feed my kids today? They, they get in that place of debt because they're in awe and wonder of the thing that they want to purchase. And so they move heaven and earth in their own lives. They're shaped by that wonder and then they choose to purchase it. This is why people sacrifice their children and their marriages for the sake of their jobs. They're so desperate for the success. They're so desperate for the achievement. They're so uh, desperate for those things. The awe and wonder of what this could actually mean for me if I just work a little harder, a little harder, and all of a sudden they sacrifice. Not because they hate their kids or their wife, although that may be true to some extent at certain times, but most of the time the, way, the reason this works is because people are just captured by something else. They stirred their wonder by something else. This is why people get addicted. They become enamored with a feeling and that ecstasy, that feeling that they need to feel, they just, they chase it. It makes them feel awesome. It makes them stir their wonder and it feels so great. And so they become addicted to something. This is why we're shaped by these things. We're shaped by what we wonder at. This is why James K.A. Smith says this. He says, if you want to change someone profoundly, just change what they worship. Just change what they stare at the most, what they look at the most, what they can't take their eyes off. Change that thing in their hearts and souls. It will change them entirely because we're shaped by our wonder. This again is why Moses says, show me. I want to be formed by you. I want to be formed by my vision of you. I want to see you more clearly, know you more deeply, so that ultimately I'm shaped and formed into a person who is shaped by the glory of God, not the glory of anything else. And we see this throughout Israel's time as well. Honestly, if you look at the Old Testament, you see when the people of Israel were, were shaped by the wonders of the Lord, they were fearless, they experienced victory in battle, they experienced trust in the Lord, they were very obedient to Him. Uh, they had peace and all of these different things. When they were shaped by the wonders of the Lord, they experienced so much of what's available to know this God when they were in wonder of Him. And when they weren't, they were fearful, they were disobedient, they were constantly running to other things, trying to fill that need someplace else. And we see this most substantially in the story of David and Goliath and the rest of Israel. If you remember that story of David and Goliath, all of Israel, all the warriors are standing at the battle lines in front of this giant who's nine foot, nine inches tall, and all of them are afraid. They're all terrified. No one wants to fight this man. They're all terrified of him. And the reason they're afraid is because they are actually in awe and wonder of the giant man, the giant warrior that's actually standing in front of them. All of these warriors. And then eventually, all of a sudden, David shows up. And he doesn't have swords. He doesn't have body armor or anything like that. But all of a sudden, he shows up. And what he doesn't have, he doesn't have what they have. But he has something far better. He's not in awe and wonder of the giant. He's in awe and wonder of, of, of God and his might and his strength and his power. He's in awe of the Lord. And so he moves forward, unlike the thousands of other army soldiers, he moves forward fearlessly because he's not in awe of this giant. He's in awe of the Lord. And he's like, he will take care of you. He will do this. He will protect me. I understand. I'm shaped by this vision of who God is. He is much more powerful than a nine foot, nine inch giant and ultimately moves forward and actually experiences the power of God in his time. 
He's in all of that particular power, and I think we need to be in all of that as well, so we're shaped by it. English theologian John Owen says this, and I think it's a really beautiful quote. He says, if the beauty and glory of Christ does not capture our imaginations, if it doesn't dominate our waking thought, if it doesn't fill our hearts, something else will. We will be continually ruminating and something or some things will be our hope and our joy. And whatever those things are, they will frame our souls. They will transform us into their likeness. And if we don't behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, then something else will rule our lives and we will become slaves instead of sons and daughters. Slaves to those things instead of sons and daughters of a king. And so in so many ways, Moses is praying, like, I want to be formed by your glory. And this is what God wants from us as well. He wants us to be formed by his glory. This is why the Bible talks consistently uh, about the fear of the Lord. Like, blessed are those who fear the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not this actual fear, but it's this awe and reverence and wonder of like, when this happens in your life, you're shaped and formed by that. And Paul carries this idea into the New Testament and says that when you're actually shaped by this person who you're standing in awe of and you're, you're experiencing wonder of, you become like them. And Paul says the way that you become like God, you're shaped and formed in that, you begin to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like when you are actually in awe and wonder of the Lord, you begin experiencing what you actually have longed for your entire life. We long for love. We long for peace. We long for joy and we're pursuing those things. And Paul's saying like, hey, you don't actually have to go searching for those things. You don't, they're, not, they're not out there. You don't have to fight for peace. You don't have to search for joy. You don't have to give yourself over to find love. Ultimately, that will be formed in you as you, as you are stirred in your wonder and your awe of the Lord. As you begin to behold him, those things will just naturally develop in you. You will shift. You will transform. You will change because your worship and what has captured your eyes and what has captured your heart ultimately has changed. And those things, the things that we long for the most, love, joy, peace, the things especially in 2020 that we didn't really have that we searched for, those things are actually formed in us, not by searching for it elsewhere, but ultimately by finding it in our king who's actually there and saying, just enjoy me. Like, just work, like enjoy my presence. And then those things that you long for, those things will be formed in you. We're shaped by our wonder. The third reason that we need to pursue the wonder of the Lord this year is so that we actually experience wondrous things. So that we actually experience wondrous things. I love that Moses says, show me. Show me. I want to see with my own eyes. This idea that like it's actually possible to see visible miracles, to see visible wonders. I want to see them. He doesn't say like, just teach me about them. Don't tell me about them. I want to see them with my very eyes. Show me your glory. There's a hunger that exists in Moses. And what's crazy is that he's actually been with the Lord for a while. The text just said, I believe it's just before this, the text says that God spoke to Moses face to face as with a friend. And so Moses is actively experiencing something that no one else is experiencing, and yet this hunger still exists. I want more. Show me more of your glory. I want to see more of you. I want to know you more deeply. I want more. Show me, God. Do more for me. And that hunger that exists in him, I think it's so important. And then all of a sudden you see that God doesn't sit there and be like, hey, man, you're asking for too much. Like we we talk face to face, we got all this stuff. He doesn't say that. He actually, in verse 19, he says, yes, I will allow these things to happen. You've asked for them and I'll do that. That hunger is met with a affirmation. Like, absolutely, I will do that for you. God says yes to him. I love what A.W. Tozer says about this hunger for the Lord. He says, complacency. 
He says, complacency is a deadly foe for all spiritual growth. Strong, acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of God to his people. He waits to be wanted. God waits to be wanted. I love that vision. And I think we live in a time in the church, especially here in the South, we live in a time in the church where that particular vision is just lost. This hunger for God, it's just not there. It's lost. It's like the church has grown accustomed to not seeing the glory of God, to not seeing the power of God, that we've just stopped expecting it. And so we, we lived in this, this season of like, I prayed and then nothing happened. And so then we just stopped praying. Or I've been longing to see something and I just haven't really experienced it in church or in, in my relationship because we just stopped expecting it. John Tyson, in his book, The Burden is Light, says this about this idea. He says, psychologists who deal with the study of perception refer to a phenomenon called habituation. He says, the idea uh, is that when a new object is introduced into our environment, we are intensely aware of it, but the awareness ultimately fades over time. So for instance, when we first begin to wear a new wristwatch, we feel it on our wrist constantly, but after a while, we don't even notice that it's there. When people move into a new home, they generally have a list of things they must repair or remodel because the sight of them is intolerable. However, five years later, they may still have the same list, but the lack of repair doesn't bother them as much as it used to anymore. And I feel like that's exactly what's happened to the church. We've gotten to this place where we've moved into a season in the life of a church, or even in your personal Christianity, we're just like, just, it's just habitually, or habituation has taken place for you. Where it's like, man, I just, I'm, I don't really expect Sunday mornings to be where I meet with God. I know that's what it's called, but like, it's just going to be a routine. And holy expectation is ultimately replaced by just normal routine of like, I just do church on Sundays and this whole thing. And I'm going to pray a prayer, but he's not really going to answer it because that's been my experience. And so we just settle for that. And we settle for mediocre and we settle for those things. And it's like, but wonder is available. And so I love that Moses is chasing down these things. And if you look at the, if you look at the early church, it wasn't always the case that, that people felt this way. Uh, if you read the Acts of the early church, they were not, if something happened and they needed the power of God to actually show up in their lives, they didn't just say like, well, it's not happening. And so therefore, I guess I won't pursue it. In the Acts of the early church, like if, if they needed the power of God and it wasn't happening, they would get together and they would pray until the power came. And they would consistently just go before, the, like, like Jesus, they would continue knocking on the door and knocking on the door and knocking on the door until the door was open. And I feel like for so many Christians, we, instead of knocking on the door, we've knocked on the door and we've just assumed that no one's home and so we've left. And I think this has happened to us. And yet because we've become so used to not experiencing the power of God, experiencing those things, this has become the norm for us. And I think in so many ways, we've forgotten that our God is so strong that even in his death, he brought eternal life. His death actually purchased eternal life. He's so powerful that even his losses are victories. I was talking about this to my wife. I was like, it's crazy that Jesus is so powerful that his losses are his victories. He doesn't even know how to lose correctly. Like, he doesn't even know that like, when he lost, he gained the victory. Like, that's how powerful he is. And so like this idea is supposed to shape us and stir us consistently. That's supposed to be something. And he says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead actually lives in our veins too. And that Jesus would say to us like, hey, you've seen me do a bunch of miracles, but you will do even greater things. My followers will do even greater things than these. That should be our expectation. That should be our holy hope that we actually know like this is available to us. Wonders are available. Don't settle for something else. I think the greatest pursuits of, of the enemy is to, he knows that he can't rival God's power. He knows that he can't beat God's power, but he does know that he can trick us or lie to us into believing that God's power isn't really real or that if it is real, it won't happen in our time. 
And I think so much of that has happened. He's not trying to fight God's power. He knows he'll lose that. But he is trying to steal from our souls this expectation that he'll actually do something. He is trying to make us forget. And I think this happened also in Jesus' day. We just, you know, obviously we just celebrated Christmas and the Isaiah prophecy that says that God will be with us. Emmanuel, God will be with us. Tim Keller says that early on in Jesus' day, for centuries, Jewish religious leaders, especially in Jesus' day, uh, they knew about Isaiah's prophecy that Emmanuel, God, would be with us. But they had not thought that it should be taken literally, that God would actually come in the flesh. They believed it was predicting the coming of some great leader through whose work, figuratively speaking, God would be present with his people. And what I think is so sad about that is they had this vision of God that was not very high. So when they saw a a passage that proclaimed that God would be with us, they didn't actually think that the miracle was going to happen. They didn't think anything miraculous was going to happen. They just thought that they would ultimately experience God's presence through a normal person. They had such a low view of God that they couldn't even believe that a miracle was going to happen, so they changed the Bible completely. They changed the interpretation completely. And so for many of them, the miracle did happen, but they missed it. Jesus did walk on the earth. Emmanuel, he was God with us. It actually happened, but so many of them missed it because they weren't expecting the miracle. And I don't want us to miss that in 2021. I don't want us to miss that Like there are miracles available, there's wonders available, there's awesome things, there's power available to us, to the church, to Christians in particular. I don't want us to miss it because we don't actually experience or chase down or believe that that power is available to us. There's nothing too wonderful for the Lord. And I believe that God is waiting on people who are naive enough to believe again, to stand in awe of him again. He made us for wonder. We're desperate for it. And he ultimately wants to be the one who actually satisfies that longing in our souls. And so I want us for 2021, it's an encouragement, it's a challenge to you, to be a people who actually chase this down, to be like Moses. Just wake up every morning and say, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I'm not satisfied with what I have or what I'm experiencing. And yes, I feel like we should be content and that's fine in the things that you have, but with him, if you're not experiencing this, this richness and this relationship with him, this power that comes from him, these answers to prayer, do not give up. Actually be persistent as Jesus would talk about Chase this down. Wake up in the morning. Say it throughout the day. Just this breathing prayer. Show me your glory. Four words that could ultimately change and create a hunger and stirring in your soul to actually experience the awe and wonder of the Lord. We're desperate for it. Some of you are desperate for wonders of the Lord. And so I want you to experience it. I don't want you to miss it because we've just become complacent or stopped expecting it. Holy expectation has to exist. He waits to be wanted. And so this year, this challenge, this, this one thing, just pray to the Lord consistently. This is it. Show me your glory. Let me enjoy you and then be framed and shaped by you. Uh, I want to finish with this quote. Uh, I love the Jewish rabbi, Abraham Heschel. Uh, he said this on his deathbed. He says, never once in my life did I ask God for success, for wisdom, for power, or for fame. I asked for wonder, and he gave it to me. And I want that to be the cry of our hearts in 2021. I want the church to rise up again and go, there's nothing too wonderful for the Lord. Show me your glory. Let me pray. Father, would you show us your glory? Would 2021 uh, be substantially different than 2020? Not because there won't be a pandemic that begins in 2021. But Lord, would 2021 be so different for the life of the church, for the life of of Christians who are longing to experience wonder, who are chasing it down in other areas, or have just forgotten to pursue it at all, or become complacent and just accepted that maybe this is just the way that life is with Him. 
May we be in awe and wonder of you again. May we pray like Moses that when we get something that's wonderful from you, when we experience your, your goodness, that we'd still have a hunger for more. Show me your glory, God. Um, God, I pray that you would place that in our hearts, that you would help us to believe again, that you would allow us to see that creation is declaring your glory, and so that ultimately we are able to experience it not just in our own lives, but actually out in the world. Um, but God, would you make us into those type of people? Would we pray to you consistently and ask and chase after you and chase it down until the power comes? Would we pray, show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And uh, we do this uh, ultimately to remember uh, Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection and what he did for us. And again, it's this idea that we're supposed to, in the early church, it was supposed to be this thing that, again, stirs our wonder. Look what he did. He did this amazing thing that now we don't have to sacrifice anything. He was the sacrifice. And through his death, he brought us life. And so we drink his, uh, his blood and we eat his body as a, as a symbol to say, like, this is what he did. He actually changed everything through one act on the cross. And through that act, he gained victory. In his loss, we experience victory. He doesn't even lose correctly. This is how we ultimately experience life in him. And he gave us this practice so, again, that we'd stir our wonder. And I want to read, I know I have, I have had a lot of quotes, but I want to read one quote that uh, is from a, a Scottish uh, pastor uh, that I really, really like. His name's James Stewart. But he says, he's talking about the body and blood of Jesus. And he says, uh, it's a glorious phrase in Ephesians 4 that says that Jesus led captivity captive. It says that this means that the very triumphs of his enemies he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievements to serve his ends, not theirs. They nailed him to the tree, not knowing that by that very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up all the gates of the universe to let the king of glory come in. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were actually implanting imperishably in the hearts of men the very name that they intended to destroy. They thought they had defeated God with his back to the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of dark mystery and dark evil. He conquered through evil. And so in so many ways, like this is what we celebrate. We look back at the cross when we look at the body and blood of Jesus, we look back at that and be like, you did something amazing. You used the most horrific event in history to ultimately bring about the most beauty and the most glory. And so for our lives, that that's still possible, that that's what he does. He takes dead things and he resurrects them. That we can remember as we eat the body and blood that in our lives, the things that are dead, the things that look horrific, that God can bring beauty and glory out of things that look so dead and lifeless. This is what he does. And so if you have your elements, please grab those. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. He says, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Take and drink. Thanks be to God. My prayer for you and my blessing for you. One, it's been great joining you in this way. I miss y'all and uh, very thankful to be here today. Uh, I ask that the Lord would bless you and that he would make you people who uh, long to experience this wonder that he would ultimately allow you in the kindness of his spirit to uh, answer your prayer, to show you his glory. In Jesus' name.
suddenly I'm not afraid Cause you speak Freedom reigns There is hope And every single word you say you guys to come back next week uh youtube live and facebook live 10 15 colton thank you so much for being here anything else happy new year happy new year we'll see you guys next week bye